0: Welcome to The Difference Engine, the show for founders, funders, and the category curious.
1: Don't confuse size, don't confuse valuation with category leadership.
0: I'm not the only person frustrated by this. You disagree with my analysis. I do.
1: You either acquire, or you are acquired. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, and it's proof that you are living the argument. We all know history is written by the winners. Hello, Paul. Hello. Let's not hang about. What have we got coming up in the show?
0: We're going to take a look at remote working and its influence on category, and we'll be breaking down what people really mean when they talk about the year of efficiency.
1: We're going to be sharing some pro tips on how you will build your ecosystem, but first, AI. Is it category's friend or foe? Let's talk about AI and the category design process. There seems to be a lot of talk of AI at the moment, but generally, it ain't particularly positive when it comes to categories. pretty confusing.
0: Let's face it, AI is just not go-faster stripes for underpowered categories. The point is, AI is a paradigm. It's not a category. So it's just incredibly lazy to attach the latest paradigm to any product or service that you might be developing, and I hope it's going to make you a player.
1: We know AI is, is the money shot. We hear that from all of the funders out there but the question I get is is it smart to add AI to your category
0: yeah but look surfboard ownership doesn't make you a surfer it's not just about being associated with a wave which matters but it's how you surf and how differently you do it to others
1: it's very difficult though if you're the uh, entrepreneur and you're looking at creating your category and you see that stuff with AI jammed into it is getting funded, and you're not. It's so, so tempting to just make your category around what's hot right now, and what's hot right now clearly is AI.
0: The point here is innovation is about how you use the AI. It's not just that you use it as some ingredient in your offer, is it? The idea that just AI will somehow make your product better or faster. That just opens a sort of tactical counterclaiming race, which will just go straight to the bottom. It
1: becomes sort of like noise. Uh, it reduces rather than enhances your difference. It makes you seem very samey to everybody else that's out there.
0: Absolutely, and and the danger is it brings you into disrepute. Oh, just somebody else claiming it's AI, oh God, you know.
1: Yeah, so a bit like greenwashing, we sort of have AI washing at the moment. Maybe history has got something to teach us about this, and we obviously have quite a bit of history. God, we have a whole
0: lot of history, isn't it? But you, know, you can go right back to the, um, the mainframe days. So you had these great, big, huge machines being looked after by gods in white coats, but mainframe was a category. But it just spawned loads and loads of subcategories, you know, like time sharing, renting, servicing, backups, terminal accessories, database supplies, HVAC, new programming languages. They were all related to the main category of computing, but there were also significant tech categories.
1: Yeah, and I suppose if you think that cloud is the new mainframe, which a lot of people are seeing, you do see significant subcategories underneath this cloud platform, this cloud paradigm, things like, as you say, virtualization, time-sharing, if you will, different types of storage, multi-cloud, the ways that you need to manage and secure clouds. These are all subcategories within cloud.
0: We've been hearing VCs talking recently, you know, basically reduce your multiples, don't be greedy unless you have AI.
1: I mean, I literally heard that at the Sastra conference. It's like, if you haven't got an AI component to your offer, we ain't going to fund you. So it's, that's clearly driving entrepreneur and founding teams behaviors because they they want to get funded but maybe there's a better way right yeah but it's
0: not about jumping on on the magic bandwagon you know companies have to define their subcategories within ai and machine learning now we've started to see it you know computer vision nlp text-to-speech and so on i think our view would be don't just put ai define what sort of ai it is and why your customers should care and why it's different to what everybody else is talking about in the
1: marketplace. You know, on the other side of the argument, you have uh, people that are pivoting very successfully based off this paradigm. They're not necessarily linking themselves or putting AI in their category name. I'm thinking specifically of Nvidia, the darling of the hour, and how it pivoted from gaming chips, which is you know where this all came from, realizing that large language models needed similar sorts of compute capabilities, and reinvented itself for this new AI paradigm, but without necessarily getting sucked into the whole, we're the AI chip. I think they've done pretty well on that, actually.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think that, that's really one to watch.
1: The innovation in that GPU category is astounding. Is What's nice about that, a little bit like Cisco, these are the picks and shovels guys. They're the folks that let the AI wave, if you will, crash, and then figure out what people are going to need to do to build significant categories under that. As I say, often picks and shovels. GPU is now the category that NVIDIA owns and more power to their elbow.
0: And guess what? It's what the customers actually care about. They don't
1: care about the chips.
0: They care about what it does and
1: what it does for them. So I think the message here is pretty clear. Try and avoid the AI washing. Get that it's difficult. Get that a lot of perhaps desperate for deal type funders are looking for you to put the AI in. But that doesn't mean it has to be your category. You need to think a little bit more strategically about where AI powers us all to go and what the category could be that you are going to thrive at. Could well be a subcategory of AI and try and avoid going for the obvious.
0: But I think the most important thing also here is make sure that the company that's offering you money understands that you are going to develop a category and they're not just throwing money at you because they think
1: you're in AI. As always, we'd love to help you navigate this tricky journey and you can find out more from our blog and on our LinkedIn posts. You've got to learn to earn one of the things we like to do on this pod is to share some of the knowledge that, you know, a few decades of kicking around in this industry we have, hoping that as you learn, you will learn. So, Jonathan, what are we learning today? Well, it's, it's that simple thing. Sounds like the Blue Peter program. How do you build an ecosystem? What's an ecosystem?
0: An ecosystem is a group of fellow travelers and category creators who are aligned with you and your category Vision. The immediate thing we, we, we need to ram home here is that you know, thinking as broadly as possible about your ecosystem uh, when you design your category is one of the most valuable parts of, a, of any category design strategy.
1: Classic examples of major categories people know. Obviously, Apple has a, a device, but it would be nothing without the app ecosystem that drives it. The success of the category of, of, of smartphones is to do with that ecosystem, which needs to be built out carefully. Uber, likewise has deals with car manufacturers, because that became an important part of building out its category. It's really this really wide thinking. And it's something that a lot of people in software limit themselves to and sort of damage their chances becoming a category leader just because they haven't thought widely enough. Also, they'll
0: go out and court the current status quo. We know the definition of insanity is is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting the outcome to be different.
1: And we're seeing this a little bit with the rise of AI. Right now, it seems like everybody's getting ready for the dance and, and they're picking one or two partners. And that may suffice for them to succeed in their category. If you're doing something like middleware, if you're creating a Canva or something that needs to connect and bring a lot of different files in, your ecosystem's gonna be bigger. So you need to adjust and allow for a lot more partnering. Imagine
0: building a network required to pull together a consolidated global tax return. Well, that's something we've actually done. We've yeah. actually, that's a, that's I thought I might bring that up. Yes, because, it's geez. a client that
1: we've actually worked with. And of course there, what's the ecosystem? Well, the ecosystem is enormous because everybody uh, who's in business has to file a tax return. And so you've got to go through, maybe from the top downwards, maybe from the bottom upwards, a list of folks that you need to partner with to build out this ecosystem to be credible as a global tax player.
0: But it's interesting if you're in the sort of enterprise software business, some of the people you really want to get the attention of pretty early on are some of the bigger GSIs. Now, we know how difficult it is to get their attention. Sometimes they just want to ally with the people that dominate the current ecosystems they're servicing, they can be pretty risk averse. So it's always a question of finding a single risk taking change maker. And that could be a company or it could just be an individual. And I
1: think the GSI point is very valid. Obviously, these guys are advising a lot of companies. People tend to change their global systems integrator not very often. The deals they strike are multi year, they can be 10 year. Contracts, so they really have got a grip on some of the customers you might want in your category. They're well worth romancing, but it's not easy to do.
0: It isn't, but you've got to get those first few partners and ecosystems right because the object of all of this is to start a chain reaction. People start looking, and going, "Oh God, what are they doing? We better have a good look at that." And then it becomes easier and easier and easier to attract people into your ecosystems. So it's about gaining momentum, and you need to be pretty sure that the people who are going to travel with you at the beginning of the journey are going to continue on that journey.
1: You know, you'll recall well, we worked with one of our clients to get them into, I believe, was was it Accenture? It it was a large GSI beginning with A. (laughs) Okay, so it wasn't Atos. The game there was they already on their website listed all the categories that they supported of software and had the lead company. So so our game, the game that we got for the client, frankly, was to get them included on that long list of folks at the Company beginning with A supported, and that was a lot of graft. Just getting that, but it's also much
0: more interesting to a company maybe beginning with I, perhaps, who wanted to have some differentiation against the likes of a company beginning with A. And we've talked about this before. You know, the whole idea of Burger King strategy: Burger Burger King aligned with Pepsi because McDonald's already aligned with with Coca Cola. But again, the point is, choose people who are really committed to that journey it's worth spending the time to make sure you've got the right people and the right companies in place
1: and so really think broadly uh, the other move that i've seen a lot is go down a tier so rather than go for the gsi you go for a, an also run systems integrator if you will or a, or a tier two or someone really trying their best to, to get it you know to bust into the big time those guys are more open they may not have the prestige of the big guys but they may be consulting on more innovative projects. So they could be the right folks as you're building out the category. And as you say, once one domino falls, then you can go back and and say to the other guys, we're already being uh, looked up and implemented here.
0: The message here is look for people who want to make a move and convince them that you're the company to move with.
1: Yeah, and I think the final piece of advice I would give is like the hardest ecosystem partner you're ever going to close is probably going to be the first one. So uh, really start thinking early on You might think, you know, we don't need to build an ecosystem. We're head down building our product and creating our differentiation, and you are. But if you're gonna go all in, you need to think about ecosystems pretty early.
0: You know what? This really grinds my gears.
1: So, Paul, what's grinding your gears this week? Well, of course, it's something I read in the Financial Times. Bosses won't like it, they say, but working from home is a happier way to work, and I'm sure this is like a red rag to a bull for lots of us who are trying to run businesses.
0: There is a certain class of worker that believes they have the right to work wherever, whenever they want, because they work in weightless industries, w- know, push,
1: that, pushing information around. Would the Venn diagram of that overlaps slightly with... Financial Times columnist, by the chance. Uh,
0: I think it just might.
1: Well, we know in the UK, legally, there is a right to request changing work arrangements.
0: Yeah, but that's a real political hot potato, isn't it? And I think that's going to get shelved before we have the next election.
1: But what do we do? You know, what's the evidence around us? So yeah, so COVID is gone. The need to protect lives by working remotely is no longer with us. And yet there's this massive desire out there from quite a lot of folks, mostly a, a younger demographic it has to be said to find these remote jobs uh, that the ft thinks are so great in tech there's a lot of work from home bull roles you know programming project management you know accountancy etc uh, shout out to Kandart, by the way amazing accountant but these jobs don't require people to be face to face they don't require you to be literally hands on but that's not everybody let's take a, a subject close to our hearts the events industry uh, i've got friends in the events industry we've worked with lots of events companies etc cetera, etc cetera. let's look at hop uh, amazing anglo-american success let's say valued not so long ago 7.75 billion dollars and what does it do remote events genius what a great category until you find out what it's recently changed hands for a couple of years after covid The whole business, the whole shebang sold for 15 million. So that's taking the number 7,750 and dropping it to 15. There's one person who allegedly made out very well. Like a bandit, I I believe. Well, that is a phrase. So we understand uh, allegedly, allegedly, allegedly that the founder uh, cashed in $200 million worth of secondary shares. Nice work if you can get it. That's a lot of change. It is indeed. But, you know, it looks like Hoppin's sort of gone. Hopping has hopped off. What are those people that haven't
0: been so um, allegedly lucky, what should they be doing?
1: There's a reversion to the mean, isn't there? So I was at the Big Data London conference recently. Uh, last year, they had uh, 9,000 folks in two days. This year, 11,000 in a day. So massive hat tip to Bill and the team at Big Data London. Events are back, being face-to-face in real life is back.
0: But there are people that would want to be in, at, at event who might not be able to attend it, don't want to get crushed on the train getting there. What has changed is it's not just about physically turning up. There are other ways to attend conferences, there's other ways to access the information, there's other ways to build relationships.
1: Oh, I see, nuance, that's very interesting. So there's a, there's a halfway house here, somewhere between a business that's deciding we're fully remote and lots of young people going, please give me a job, and the businesses that you cannot do remotely, including events, if you want to go meet some people face-to-face at a Big Data or other shows are available. But it's really down to, I guess, the management of the company to make a case-by-case decision about what's right for the company in terms of remote working, right?
0: So are categories shifting around here?
1: They definitely are. What it makes me wonder is, where are we from a category point of view in terms of those people who allied their Category 2 working from home, Hopin being one, Zooms being another. There are lots of these. Where where do you think we're at from a category point of view? Well,
0: I think there's going to have to be some pivoting going on because much of this is essentially how do you express a hybrid approach to a particular customer problem? And that's where people are going to have to work really, really hard on differentiation and make some very, very clear models available to people who have a problem. Can they travel? Are they time pressured? Do they have a very, very particular um, group of interests that they want to pursue?
1: So I guess, in terms of the category move here, there is some recategorization required. And clearly, if you're all the way over onto one side, you could lose out. You're all the way over on another side, it might look a bit rosy. But what we've learned is, you know, the categorization can change as society changes.
0: So, Paul, what, what have you been posting on LinkedIn?
1: Well, I mean, talking all about the year of efficiency, and this came off the back of the SASTA Europa event. This is where everybody in the SAS business gathers and chews the fat. And I have to say, it was somewhat of a depressing affair this year. Uh, lots of people talking about you know reducing your scope, going for lower multiples. One poor chap stood up and was told he wasn't a post-A round or even a pre-Series B round contender, he was, quote, unfundable. I mean, that was brutal to hear uh, in front of several thousand people for for him, I'm sure, and his team. But the message was loud and clear. We've had a massive party. You know, 21 was a massive funding glut. You could get funded with, um, you know, two, two brain cells and one idea. That's fine. But now, you know, after the massive party comes the hangover. And Zuckerberg has called this the year of efficiency. And that is just code for... Headcount reduction, you know, moderation of valuations, and we see this happening right in front of our eyes.
0: You know, we've seen this before. What can often happen here, which people don't really notice, is the phenomenon where the babies go out with the bathwater. Babylon pop spectacularly. That was the poster child for digital healthcare.
1: Yeah, and that's a really unfortunate one. I, I know personally people that compete against Babylon with, you know, very, very good products that are doing amazing things around triaging patients in real life. A and E departments in this country, uh, but of course they got outshone in the hype by you know the spectacular founding team and a lot of the promises made by this company, which ominously named Babylon. And has now, as you said, blown up spectacularly.
0: The point here being that when you get these implosions of overambitious, let's say, or even flawed players, it makes the path to success for their competitors harder to climb. It's not about just moving into the vacuum, it's that the collapse of the lead players. Reduce the confidence in the marketplace. I think the, the most
1: unfortunate thing here is that you know there is a category of digital health which is coming no matter what. That is a solid category. There are players that were outshone by you know flashy founders, big checks, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and, and and you know unfulfilled promises and and frankly um, financial engineering around SPACs and all this sort of stuff. But you know when the when the leader of a category is taken down it sort of affects the category a little bit, and perhaps it should not.
0: No, it, it absolutely should not. What this tells me is that as we go into the into the next cycle, every year should be the year of efficiency.
1: Right, yeah, every year should be the year of efficiency. I like that. So we, we have seen, you know, one of the few benefits of being the fine vintage that you and I have is we've seen a number of these cycles. So we've seen you know three, depending on how you count it, three or four tech booms and busts. You know, this year clearly is uh, somewhat of a bust, uh, despite all everybody talking about, quote unquote, all the dry powder that the PE and the VC companies have. I've just come back from, um, from Dallas. And I can tell you, you know, I, the conversations there about how careful PE companies are being with their money are very real. So this is for real, the year of efficiency. As Nietzsche said, this too shall pass, right? Everything can move on. The year of efficiency this year, we like efficiency. We don't like what's happened to some of the amazing creative category creators that are out there. But the, the lesson we've learned is that in years of efficiency, just like any year, really, if you've got a spectacular idea for a category, you can still do it. Some would argue it's a great time to, to get out with a category.
0: I think the lesson is, you know, let's get more players succeeding and getting them through. You know, let's have a little less of this irrational exuberance and make sure that every year is a year of efficiency. What does the future hold? Let's look into our crystal ball. Right then, Paul, tell me what you see in your crystal ball today.
1: Well, I see a lot of people at Apple beavering away on a brand new category, despite the fact everybody's talking about iPhone 15. But iPhone 15 doesn't really matter. We're, we're
0: totally at the uh, end of the innovation curve on that format of smartphone.
1: I would say so. I mean, this is a classic example of how not to uh, lead a category because all iPhone 15 is is better and it sure ain't different.
0: Oh, yeah. And this is uh, from the company that that pioneered the ad line, wasn't it? You know, think different.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't worry too much because clearly where this this is all going to end up is somewhere kin to the goggles, which they've released for professional evaluation and professional development, just as they did with the iPhone at the start of that category, where they got very good at building an ecosystem of app developers. Um, you know, Some would say that they were serfs paying them 30% of all of their uh, revenues, not profit, 30% of their revenues to appear on the App Store, but that was skillfully done. And so don't be distracted by minor increments of a dying category. I'm sure there's a lot of guys at Apple and girls and and, and people all around the world working on the next iteration of something amazing. That's what I see in my crystal ball.
0: Quite rightly so, I think. Just watch this space.
1: Hope this is helping you design your category. For more information, go to becategorical.com where you'll find downloadable resources. Thanks for listening and keep different.